You are listening to the Fantasy Joes Podcast, your weekly dose of fun and unique fantasy football talk with a focus on Dynasty. And now, here are your hosts, Trey Barrett, Will Greenwood, and Ryan Livergood. That's right. We're the Fancy Joes. How are you doing? It's me at Urda Librarian, Ryan Livergood, with Will Greenwood, and a very special guest. You know him. You love him. He is, has been on the Fancy Joes more time than I can count, I think. It's Jordan McNamara. And Jordan is with us tonight to talk about his brand new book, Analytics of Dynasty 2020. Jordan, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys? Think it's good to be back here in the friendly confines. We are fantastic. And one of the two Joes with you has read the book. The other one is, is, has not, but that's okay. We'll, we'll get there. It, it took me a while. I'm not a great reader, Ryan. I know you're a librarian, but. <laughs> um, and there's, there's a lot to talk about. And, and, but we're going to try to th- throw you some curveballs tonight, Jordan, because you've been on some other podcasts. You talked about the book. So we'll try to cover some fresh ground, maybe even talk some player values in the context of analytics of dynasty. But first of all, I'll say- Have you read the whole book? I've read the whole book. I'll be honest, the last two chapters on embracing variance and then strategy, I kind of, I skimmed through, but I I think I got the gist of those chapters. But otherwise, yes, I've read every word, looked at every chart. So so I can't get my bullshit by you is what what you're saying. (laughs) Well, maybe, maybe. (laughs) But but, but what I will say, and and you've said this before, but I'm going to say as a, a, you know, a a neutral observer going into it, um, you talked, you've talked about other shows, including your own podcast, which people should subscribe to because it's great, that the first analytics of Dynasty is kind of like the 101 course. And then you take everything from that book and you, you, you cover a lot of new ground. And I think that's very true. And I, and I really appreciated it. And you reinforced some things you talked about in the first book, but then you've just covered some, some great new concepts in terms of um, you know, getting into Superflex, in terms of, um, what's the ter- now, see, I already have forgotten the term that when you, when you're looking at a player's value, like how sustainable it's going to be, how often are they going to repeat the performance? Yeah. Density. Density. That's density. it. Density. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. um, but, but I'll allow you to talk about it. I, I just, you know, it's, it's great. I really enjoyed it. Um, how, how would you introduce the new book? Any, anything else you'd say? Yeah. I mean, I guess, uh, so I, so I wrote the analytics of dynasty 2019 edition basically as a mistake and it was all a DFS research project. And then I just sort of, you know, I'm, I'm one of these people that, that either like, I'm a terrible redraft player just because it's just a terrible mindset for me. Either I'm like super short term or I have to think long term. like in an intermediate type scenario. I'm just, I just don't process it well. And so I'm like, so I, I played a ton of dynasty. I was like, you know, I'm going to play more. I was like, I'm going to play more, um, more DFS to do all this DFS research. And then I saw all the DFS research and I was like, it's actually dynasty stuff. And so I just went ahead, wrote the analytics of dynasty one um, and sort of a slash and burn type of way, right? Like didn't plan on writing a 2.0 version, never planned on using like any of the spreadsheets or the documents again. Um, it was just a, a comic tragedy by the time I was done, you know, there's just files everywhere, no sort of organization to it. I just planned on that was going to be it. And then I started talking to subscribers and I started talking to people that bought the book and I had done a pre-order with strategy sessions and they kept asking me, you know, it, this conversations kept coming back to how do we sort of implement it more or, you know, like, well, okay, we know this, but what about, uh, you know, what happens if a player misses for the net? You know, we know what a, what a round two running back, you know, that their hit rate, you know, they hit about 55% of the time. But what happens if they miss the first two years? How are we supposed to treat that? And I was like, you know, I could measure this and, and like answer those questions. And then, and if you look at these debates on like Twitter and, and different podcasts and trades and all of these things, like it's all that. Really, I mean, in the play, if you just think, if you just take away the player name for a minute and just look at the player profile, if we have a better understanding of what the profile is, we'll have a better understanding of how to make trades, how to value these players, and then and then you t- attach the name to it and think about it. Uh, you move from there. And so I was like, let's do this. And so I went in and I started diving in. All the questions that people were asking me, I was like, I'm going to answer them. And so I just started. I started doing it again. And I I said maybe I'll do podcast or whatever. 
And then I was like, ah, I'll just do it. I'll just write again. And so I said, all right, fine. I'll do a 2020 edition of the book and um, never really set out to do it. I didn't really start thinking about it until like May. And I said, you know what, let's do this thing. And so I, uh, I wrote the book and um, I, I said to myself, I'm going to keep it shorter. I'm going to keep it more topical. Uh, the 2019 edition was, I think, a I'm not going to say a beginner's course because I think anyone can use the information from the book, but it's more of a how to on dynasty, like the big picture. Um, this stuff, I think it's still big picture, but I think it's more topical in terms of you're looking at specific things and different, you know, I look through the lens of a rookie draft and what that means in terms of different stats and, and how players project and those sorts of things. And I, I sort of tried to do it through a little bit different lens with a little bit different focus. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really happy with how it came out in terms of, I kept it to a length, a hundred pages, which is what my goal was. I said, I'm not going over a hundred. I'm going to keep it a hundred. Um, and I left some stuff on the cutting room floor and, and like some trades and stuff that just didn't fit necessarily fit what I was trying to communicate. Um, so, and I think so, like some of the stuff that I wanted to talk about and I talked about in the NLX dynasty one, I got a little bit of far afield in terms of like, I did some case studies and that sort of stuff. I was like, I'm just going to keep this to data and sort of specifics and, and, and let's talk about how to implement it. So, um, so yeah, base rates and density, the super flex chapter. I mean, I'll be honest, like if, if you're in a super flex draft and someone has the book and you don't, you're at a massive disadvantage. Like, and I'm not even, I'm not like, I, I have seen what my subscribers and what my Patreons and what the people that have talked to me about using the book so far have done in Superflex drafts and they're killing it. And I'm looking at ADP and there's like a handful of quarterbacks right now that are just massive, massive values in the market. Um, and there's guys that are way overrated and you sort of like look at their base rates and stuff like that. Like there's people that are just teetering on cliffs that people are spending, you know, top 10 production, on, you know, top 10 picks on and super flex drafts. And I was like, this isn't an, like, it's watching a slow speed. It's like watching a car accident on just in slow motion as it's happening. And, you know, I just, I think knowing these things makes you a better drafter and, uh, you know, it's tough to pick players. It's really, really tough to pick players. And we, we know, we think we know a lot more about players than we do, but we don't control their outcome. But if you sort of look at the players, what they are, and what the profile they represent, those trends repeat themselves. Those trends reappear. And so when you know what the trends are and you know what the, the rates are of players hitting and, and the specific stats to look at in the super flex chapter that I talked about, if you know those things, you're, you're, you're at, a, at a much better advantage to pick the right players and avoid the dangerous profiles. So it's a lot about that. And I, I, as I'm, I'm not naturally contrarian. So that embrace the variance chapter, like I, I don't, I'm not necessarily a person that just goes out trying to shoot down people's other people's ideas. But when I hear an idea that's just constantly repeated uh, in terms of people just believing something that's true as, as sort of gospel um, that has just been said and said and said, I think it warrants looking at it and diving into seeing whether or not that's actually true. And I, I dove into it and things like, you know, what's trading up and what's mortgaging a future, a future pick in a, in a startup draft, what's that actually worth? Um, and, you know, I, I did it both ways. I could tell you what it's worth. And I also went and saw what the market thought it was worth. And there's a huge disconnect. And so when you know those things and when you have an idea about those things, it allows you to have a more optimized strategy and take advantage of, what the market perception is on something. And it creates a lot of value being on the opposite side of that. So I think there's a lot of things in the book that you can take. And even if you don't draft Superflex or play Superflex, um, you should, you should try it and get into it. But if you, you know, anytime you do more things with different positions, it, it's a lot, I think it's more fun because you're looking at a lot more players. Um, but even if you don't, like, even if you're newer to dynasty, there's stuff and there's value in the analytics of dynasty 2020 edition that I think, uh, will will really really help you analyze these players. Yeah, I, I, there's so much to unpack there with, with the way you set up the book. And when I read it, Jordan, I, kind of the same feeling I had when I read the first one. Like I, when I was putting in notes on the show sheet, I was like, I don't want to ask Jordan about that because I don't want my lead mates to know this stuff. Like I like really, it's one of those books you read it and it's like, I want to help you promote the book, <laughs> and that's what we do, right? But I also want to you know, kind of keep some of the secrets. So it's definitely something that you really should buy. Um, one thing 
that you, you talked about is, which I kind of thought was funny because in a way, our, like a podcast like the Fantasy Joes, we kind of contribute to it because this is our exciting time of year with Dynasty, right? We like to hype up players. Mm-hmm. And I think we add to the hype sometimes we hear something or someone has a good senior bowl or, or whatever, and we start to, to buy into those narratives. So I think like a podcast like ours even kind of contributes to, to people believing some of these things that they hear. So that's not a bad thing though. Like I, I, I get what you're saying, but you, you know, we need something to talk about and it's not a bad thing that we talk about these players and we sort of, you know, talk about narratives and those sorts of things. That's not bad. I just think it's important to know, you know, what's it worth. And I read a book one time and it was talking about, um, it was, uh, these people were, they were buying bonds on a company that was like going bankrupt. And the woman said, I know exactly to the penny how much these things cost. And she goes, and every second we have value, we're going to keep buying them. And once it's not worth it anymore, you know, once the, once they drop or once they rise in value or whatever to, to a specific point, like we'll buy it all the way until that point, And then we're going to stop buying it. Um, and you know, that's, I mean, there's, there's these opportunities and just because, you know, we're talking about these things, we should be talking about those things and information isn't bad. I just think keeping it in the right context and knowing what it's worth, you know, knowing, you know, it, like Hakeem Butler last year was such an easy mistake not to make. It's such an easy mistake not to make. And he falls to day three that should have told us a lot about what we should have known. And yet he was still a second round rookie, rookie pick. And you, you know, and I dove into that in the book and I was like, when we pick players there that are day three picks in round two of rookie drafts, that's not good. Like it's, even though you would think the market would, would know, would, would be better. Um, they're just not. And, you know, they, I think it was like a, 16% hit rate or something, which is actually better, but the, the sample size is small, but it's still a losing rate in that, that part of the draft. So even though we talk about these things, like I don't mind the hype train. I just, I, I think that we need to contextualize it and have an understanding of the value that's associated with it and keep things in range of, and the right range of outcomes. So Jordan, what do you say to those people that either a, they fall in love with the player during the pre-draft process and they fall in love with the wide receiver. That wide receiver goes in the fifth round, for example. And, but there's still people that value that wide receiver higher than you want to ta- draft him in a rookie draft because, you know, the, the people fell in love with that player and also the outliers. So people could go back at you and say, well, you know, you told me to avoid players like this, like, like Aaron Jones, you know, Aaron Jones was taken late in the draft, but look at Aaron Jones, look at the season he had Jordan. So you're telling me to avoid those guys. So what, and obviously we know those are outliers, but, but what do you say to people that love playing dynasty and they like to kind of chase those outliers? Cause it's fun. Cause if you drafted Aaron Jones late in your rookie draft and he, and he's hitting for you and he won you a championship, that's, that's fun. So how do we balance that? That's a good question. Um, I, you know, I, I, even when players are, you know, what's Aaron Jones, he's a day three rookie pick. Those guys hit 15% of the time. One, you know, 15 out of 100 times, Aaron Jones is going to happen, right? Like, uh, just because the, the, you know, the odds of the player are low, like, they will still hit, right? They will, uh, you know, uh, a number of them will hit. And those things happen. And, you know, in every year, it's the same thing in terms of, you know, um, start in, in terms of players hitting and then they sit and then people say, oh, look, you know, this player hit from deep, you know, DJ Chark's a good example of this. Like DJ Chark was, all right, he's a day two receiver that hit. But if you look at it, like we didn't get it right. Like, okay, he was a day two receiver that hit. Let's talk about the day two receivers that went in front of him in the draft. Um, Cortland Sutton has been a success. Christian Kirk has been somewhat of a success. Michael yeah. Gallup a success. Um, Anthony Miller, no. James Washington, no. Dante Pettis, no. Traquan Smith, no. So you just sort of look at those and then all the guys after him all essentially busted. So you sort of look at that and you say, all right, well, DJ Chark hit from deep, but it's not even like we were on him. You know what I mean? It's not even like the market was like, oh, this is the situation. And that's part of the thing that I, that I think I struggle with in terms of, you know, yes, outliers happen, but in a situation where the hit rates 10%, one out of every 10 times that per, a, a player with that profile will hit. Um, you know, I would rather take a bet on a guy that's, you know, a 
30% or 40% or 50% hit rate because the odds that they happen, it's much more likely. So outliers like McLaurin and DJ Chark, like those, those things happen and that's good. Like those are good stories, but I think it's important to keep in mind that you just, that even though they, that shouldn't change how you think about valuations, right? Like you should still keep them in context of yes, they hit, but the, but the, the particular price is, um, you know, the particular value of which they had, it's still in line with what's happened historically. Will, you've been pretty quiet. What are you thinking? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, one, just listening and paying attention and also in the interim time buying the 2020 Analytics of Dynasty. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome, Jordan. You're nice. friendly enough to come on the podcast, so I'll support you, I guess, just barely. <laughs> uh, so the, 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 the one question, and Ryan and I were talking about this a little bit beforehand, and you know, I apologize if, if in the, the very beginning part of this you answered it, but with, with the, so, you know, we have basically a small, like overall, I still feel like that the amount of data we have for dynasty analytics isn't huge. Like it just isn't that big anymore with how the NFL we're seeing evolve and change over time. And so guys like, you know, Terry McLaurin, DJ Chark, these are just the past two years. Are you seeing a trend within the last two years where, potentially our later round wide receivers are, are like hitting more in the five years before that, or it's, it's, let's say day three, I guess like day two, cause you know, the, the, the second round, but basically outside of the first round wide receivers, their hit rates are, are gaining value or uh, that it's more like it's more beneficial to take a flyer on one of those than one of the, the day three running backs. Um, I, I, I will always say that, that I think the problem with, and I broke this down in the book, like I went and actually looked at the day three guys and, um, and the day three receivers, cause I was somewhat interested in, and I think there's something to be said for here's the base rate of the player. Um, and I'm a capitalist at the same time. So I, I think that like, there's something to be said for markets, right? If a market tells us player X is, if the market's really on someone that speaks to just broader things than just a base rate or just a, or just a, uh, here's what a fifth round player hits, right? If, if they go really high in a draft, there's probably something to that. Um, so I went, I actually tested it and you, you know, you look at the guys that basically the, the, I have a chart going all the way back to 08 and it's the, the day three receivers that hit and sort of where they went and drafts. And um, the highest one that's ever gone and, and hit is Mike Williams. And he was 15.6. So he was a second round rookie pick. After that, the next one was Marvin Jones. And he was a, he was in the third round. Uh, and then like late in the third round, 28, actually early-ish in the third round, I should say 28.6. Outside of that, it's they're all fourth, fifth, and sixth round ADPs. Guys without ADPs. You're looking at like Pierre Garcon at, at the tenth. He's the tenth day three wide receiver. Um, Steve Johnson. He was the thirteenth day three wide receiver. Like you look at these guys that that are that hit. They typically are not the ones that hit. They're not the ones that even the market pegs as being the guys. And so I, you know, that they're 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 rare. You know, Antonio Brown hit, he was a fit, his ADP was 45.3, you know, so even, yes, they hit and yes, those things happen, but we have a hard time identifying them. And, and I'm not going to say it's random, but if you sort of look at it, it feels random in terms of how they hit. Um, and, you know, Stefan Diggs is probably an outlier, right? Because he was a really good metric prospect who was hurt in college. Like, um, at the end of his career, you know, and some of these ones make a little bit more sense, but we're not like, yes, there's guys that hit from round three and round four, and that will happen. Like that's not a zero hit rate. Like those things will happen. Um, but we're just not particularly good at identifying which ones will. And so that's, I, I kind of like to avoid those. I mean, maybe if I go back and like, I'm trying to poke a hole in it, maybe I'll say, listen, DJ Chark, if you sort of go to that spot of the draft, he's 61 overall and he's going in the third round of rookie drafts. So like that's probably value, right? That would probably be value if I was going to, if I was going to look at it. Um, but you know, I just, I, 
that that's a situation where he fell. You know, you look at that range of the draft and you expect wide receivers to hit in the third round of rookie drafts. Historically, their hit rate 16%. And so you're thinking, you know, and you look at just a random day two wide receiver or a random round two wide receiver, his hit rates like around 25%. And so that was probably value there if you were just to do it from that, that type of analysis. Um, but even the market wasn't on it. You know, the market thought that he wasn't a good value. So um, I, I think generally speaking, we struggle with that. And I think, but if a, a general thing that I would say from this is you look at, you look at pedigree and you try and identify, and I do this in the book in, in some detail. And actually, I, the 2019 class is a perfect class to do this with. And I just, I just looked through the first two rounds, but you could do it further down um, throughout the draft. But I looked at specifically, you know, what parts of the draft, you know, what's good pedigree there? And so you look at a guy like David Montgomery, he was a below average first round pick. Like he, his, his draft pedigree would have put him above average in the first part of the second round. And so when he goes early in the early, you know, as, as high as 102, 103, that's a historically bad bet, you know? And so when I think further down the line, if you see guys like this might be a class where you get day two wide receivers, round two wide receivers that fall into round three of a rookie draft, like that is a possible outcome this year. And those might be values. And so if, if I'm going to look and try and create more, a bigger board, which I'm going to do this year in terms of more potential target players, that's probably the thing I'm looking for is guys that fall to round three or round four of rookie drafts that are day two or day three wide receivers that might have a higher hit rate than you would expect in, in that particular part of the draft. So that would be if I was sort of to counter and figure out how I'm going to apply sort of my own lessons to what has happened, that would probably be where I would start to look. Hey, Jordan, I think excellent that's a- answer, by the way. Thank you. Uh, uh, also, a, a quick, just quick question. Sorry, Ryan, before you jump in. So, a guy like a guy like Terry McLaurin this year, uh, was he a hit in his rookie year? No. So, because he, yeah, because he finished in weeks one through sixteen, is wide receiver twenty five in PPR points. Yeah. So I define he's not there yet. Which is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's a great question. So actually, um, and it's funny. Like I, so just to take a step back, and I think it's it's interesting to note this because. I didn't intend this to happen, but when I write the analytics of dynasty, I basically write from like this year, I probably wrote from like May or June, somewhere in there, like in the spring slash summer, um, right after rookie draft time was when I started thinking about it. Um, I write from then until basically like into November and I was probably done with the book, like had stopped writing right around the time week 16 hit. And then I, I go into editing and if there's a relevant thing, I will add it. Like Devonte Parker was relevant to the analytics of dynasty this year, how he hit because it's a rare outcome. God bless. So, so yeah. So I write, I write it in advance. Um, and I wrote it in advance and I actually wrote this uh, about looking at day two wide receivers and, and wide receivers that essentially hit in year one as a, as a wide receiver three. So wide receivers that finish in and basically 25 through 36. Um, and it was funny cause I, I wrote this before it happened and I was like, all right, let's, and then two guys happened DK Metcalf and uh, McLaurin right? They both hit as wide receiver three seasonal finishes. And I look at seasonal finishes. Um, you know, the, I don't do it at a per game cause that's for a bunch of different reasons, but I just look at the total seasonal finish of the player. Um, both of them hit for, for, uh, a wide receiver three finish. If you look at rookie wide receivers that hit for a day three, uh, hit for a, a wide receiver three finish on in their rookie year, a hundred percent of them have hit uh, for a top 24 season in their career, at least one. If you actually look at it for first round guys, that number actually drops to like 88%. So there's a miss in there. Um, and I, and I, it's an interesting thing because it's like one of the rare times that pedigree is actually not great (laughs) where, where higher pedigrees actually has performed worse. It's a, it's a weird distinction, but I think, I think a lot of it is when you're a day three, a day two wide receiver and you get enough volume in year one to get to wide receiver three type production, you have done a lot to get that far. Whereas a round one wide receiver tends to have that volume handed to them as long as they don't fall on their face. So I think that 
you know, I think when you look at that, like it's a really good, while he's not technically a hit, I think he's trending. Both of those guys are trending in a really positive direction. I question McLaurin's metric profile a little bit, but um, I think, you know, I, I would put him as a likely player to probably finish at some point in his career as a top 24 player, just based on the prior. Yeah. I, I, but it's one, funny. I wrote that in advance and then I, it I, happened like, and so all of these things I wrote in advance and, and they like a lot of them came to fruition and have examples this year. So McLaurin's like, I'm like loaded for McLaurin questions. Uh, yeah, no, like a couple yeah, that's, it's just, it's just right there in the barrel, ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. And no, 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 I, I didn't no, intend no, no, to write no, about Terry, it. And Terry McLaurin, Ter- Terry McLaurin. No, I kid. <laughs> that's a, uh, yeah. And that's, it's super interesting uh, too, that hundred percent of them have hit. Which just it, you know begs the question of guys like Keneal Harry and I, I kid with Keneal. Uh, <laughs> he was just called that in the pre-draft process quite a bit. So the you know it's still eighty-eight percent is is a gamble that I'm taking in Vegas. So well, no, no, that's not a. Um, so he's a. So he is a. Um, he is a wide receiver. He wouldn't fall under that stat because he. Didn't oh, because he, he wasn't three. top. He wasn't a wide receiver. Yeah, you're right. Right, I'm right, yeah. So his. Um, so like you would look at like him, and he would probably like he's another interesting one. And like the more I looked at this, I was really fascinated by the rookie class this year because it had a lot of. I had a lot of these examples of how you sort of think about these guys, but when you look at wide receivers that don't hit in year one, like it doesn't really drop them all that much. So like the, the wide receiver hit rate for wide receivers in the first round is 53% historically. Um, If a wide receiver misses after year one, it drops it to 45%. So he's still close to a coin flip. Um, And, you know, but I think people wouldn't realize it's that low, generally speaking. Um, You know, people, I think, tend to think that number is higher than it is. Um, and I actually looked at it for wide receiver threes as well, because, you know, people play more wide receivers. I can sort of quibble with uh, approaching wide receivers looking for that outcome. But, you know, wide receivers that miss year one for round one guys, uh, 56% of, or excuse me, 60% of them hit for at least one wide receiver three finish. So, um, you know, so he's just, his miss this year doesn't really, peg him down that much it's more of a year two to year yeah. three drop that happens but if he if he hits as a wide receiver three and that's it in his career i'm still very angry at him yeah totally and that's actually that's a great that's a great point because the hit like some people when i wrote the first book were like well you define a hit as one and i was like yes because i when you're writing like a hundred or 150 page book, like the first one was a hundred, you have to sort of come up with terms so you don't have to define it every time. And so I, I call it a hit. Um, but you know, if you draft someone at 101, them hitting once is, is not a successful pick really. Um, you're looking for something more than that. And so that's really the density argument that I make that I talk a lot about in the book is what you're really looking for is a hit plus the density um, and the density of the hit to be deep, to be multiple hits. That's really what you're looking for. Uh, and so, yeah, I, it's a, it's a twofold thing, right? If you, and you know, if you hit for, I talked about this in the book, if you draft a quarterback at one Oh one and he hits w- once, that's, not a great outcome. If you draft a quarterback at 301 and he hits once, that's a windfall, right? So, um, you know, you just, you, uh, the density really is what you're getting towards and how much of a value the pick was or whether it was a successful hit. Guys, we're going to transition into a segment that we're calling back in time. And what we're going to do is we're going to go back to 2019 to the off season and relive, relive some moments and obviously we have the benefit of hindsight now and just discuss if anything that happened in 2019 might change our thought process moving forward. And we're going to apply some of the principles from uh, both analytics of dynasty books. So Jordan, I'm going to give you narrative number one here, and we've already talked about Terry McLaurin, but he's in this question. So here's the narrative. <laughs> you told me to take day two running backs in the second round um, or, or day two running backs, excuse me, in 2019. So I did that. I took some guys like uh, Damon Harris, uh, for example, and they didn't really pay off for me, but, but I missed out on a guy like Terry McLaurin. Well, I, I mean, maybe I didn't because Katie Flower told me to take a flyer on him in the third round. He was still there. But I know he's an outlier, but there were some things I liked about him, right? Um, guy runs a 4-3-5, four, four, saw his potential in the pre-draft process. Um, I don't want to miss on these outliers. We already talked about this a little bit, but are there things that you think you might consider in the next analytics of dynasty book um, that, that might apply to 
getting better insight into some outliers. For example, another one, Preston Williams. He showed us flashes, not that he's done anything yet, not that he's hit, but he's a guy who was undrafted free agent, off the field issues, the domestic violence. And he hit something. Yeah, he hit something. So he's a guy that potentially is a guy maybe I would have targeted if I think he's going to turn into something rather than a, than a running back that, that didn't hit for us. So this is kind of a question that's all over the place. I'm sorry yeah, about this well, first and, one. And, and to, to filibuster for a quick second while, uh, while I think about Ryan's question, is Ryan Fitzpatrick the best quarterback for wide receiver value? I think so. The people he has made money is ridiculous. <laughs> he has made a lot of people money. He should be on a lot of Christmas card lists for wide receivers. He's made a lot of people money. I mean, it's it's made him like eight kids, so <laughs> yes. he's a winner. Yeah. So um, I'm sorry, this question. So let's just take one, maybe one thing because I'm curious about the. And maybe that's too hard to look at. You know, maybe it's um, um, you know, injuries or maybe it's out the field issues. Like, are there any, are, are there some logical criteria you think you could look at to try to narrow down who might be successful or is that just impossible? I mean, if I'm, if I'm going to go, I don't dive into this into the book because other people have done this work and I think it's, I think it's valuable, um, I, but it's not really mine and I, it's tough to do in like a evergreen type of sense. But if, if it was me, I would look at, um, you know, I'm starting to do this a little bit for this class too. It's just I'm get breaking into the the rookie class more and more as the days go by. But look a lot at the metric profiles for players. Like McLaurin was probably always going to be an outlier. I mean, he didn't have a great metric case. I mean, I guess people would retort that as being, well, he was in. You know, he had a, a clogged up, uh, you know depth chart when he was in college and I sort of I, I guess I get that argument although it's it's not really you know when players aren't are, aren't really that productive in college it's and they hit in the NFL like they're outliers so I'm not sure that you know I, I'm not sure I'd make those bets a lot because of McLaurin um, you know and and we, again we looked at the situation and it didn't look like a good situation coming into the year right so um so that's, I'm not sure with McLaurin, how you, you know, outside of taking a shot on a day three, a day two guy you like. Um, yeah. I'm not sure where the process, uh, where, what I would have changed on a player like him. Um, and you would have got him later after I would have told you to take those round two running backs or day two running backs. But if you look at the day two running backs as, as sort of a group, um, generally speaking, when they hit, when they hit their most, right. When they're, when they're at their best, it's year two. And, you know, that's when you sort of see a peak in games, you see a peak in production, you see, you know, their, their top 24 seasons peak, like that's, that's where they really get their things. And I think generally, if you, you know, if you take a, if you, if you look at running backs and you sort of look how they progress and just use them, just continue to bet on profiles. So with the argument for day two running backs, it's that, you know, 50, I think the hit rate's 55% for round two and 40% for round three. And so if you get a, if you get two or three or four of these day two guys, your, your odds would tell you you're going to get one to one and a half to two hits, right. In terms of those guys producing, but even that, like you're not running backs play a different game. And what you get out of running backs is you get the opportunity to know when to play them. So for example, Alexander Madison, you were taking him and he actually fell to, he's a rare case because he's a day two running back that fell to a round three ADP. Uh, and for, for a period of time, I think he just got inside the, the round two line throughout the entire off season. But like right after rookie drafts, like he was, he was, I think he was taken like at 25.3 or something like that, like just outside round, round two. And that's a, that's a rare thing for around two guys. So that's a really good value in terms of, I think there's been eight guys since 2008 that have hit and 50% of them have hit for a top 24 season. So the, while it's a small sample, the, the guys that have fallen, the market didn't really pick the right ones to sort of fade, you know? And so, um, so I think, but when you take Harris and Madison and Singletary and, you know, Daryl Henderson, I, the problem I had with Daryl Henderson wasn't the pedigree. It was the price. You know, he was what, 105, 106, 107, 108 in that range for, for a good strong period of time. 
I just didn't buy that price, but you were able to get a, and he, and he missed. And now him and Madison are going like right next to each other in startup drafts. So the spread on that was pretty, if you just traded out of the, the Henderson spot and took Madison, you're in no worse of shape. And you probably got out with a 2020 first on top of that. This is a trade down cost, right? So, um, you know, doing, doing that, you're not in any worse shape. Uh, and so, uh, but with, you know, Singletary was a guy that, going back, I mean, I sort of looked at this a little bit in, in the book and I, I was on Harrison Madison. That was sort of my rookie plan. And, you know, I think that the argument for Singletary is probably, I guess, that he was the, the running back in, you know, and made a better day two uh, year two case because he had McCoy and TJ Yeldon and Gore. Um, they cut Yel or they cut McCoy. Yeldon's basically a nothing. And he takes over for Gore after he gets injured and sort of comes back and this, this whole thing where he's out and then he comes back and then sort of takes over at the end of the year. Um, you know, I think that he was the, of all of those guys and even Sanders and you can lump Montgomery in with that of all of those guys, I think Singletary was the least clear opportunity in year one and arguably was, was the best in terms of, I mean, you could debate with, um, with Montgomery, but in Sanders is a, a peg higher in round two, but you sort of look at those guys and Singletary, I think had the worst case for year one production and was ended up being the best. Whereas if you had a guy like, and I thought Harris was going to be a, a straight backup to Michelle, if Michelle missed time, um, he didn't. And Harris didn't really play that much, but Are you sure Michelle uh, didn't miss time. I feel like his fantasy stats, he definitely missed a few games in there, right? Like, he just wasn't. He wasn't. There's good. no way he was that bad this year. <laughs> no, he was bad. I mean, he he wasn't. He wasn't good. But he, you know, uh, it's funny because the 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 there was this narrative coming into the season that you know, oh, Todd Gurley's knees falling off, degenerative knee condition, injury, you know, ACL injury, degenerative knee condition, good offense, take Daryl Henderson. Well, I said degenerative knee condition, guy could miss time, good offense, Alexander Madison. Or degenerative knee condition to a starter, good offense, Damian Harris, right? I thought like that was the the cheaper, easier bet. And and when you vault up a, I mean, it's a, you got to be careful with cost too, right? Because you vaulted up Daryl Henderson in the round one of a rookie draft, like his his hit rate would, if you just take his round, is forty percent. And so that's a that's a losing proposition that early in a draft. So. Uh, you know, I think the cost was really key on those guys and just the cost made Harris and Madison good picks. Um, and I think Singletary might be the best of those three to date. And I thought his case in year one was the least clear. So I didn't think they would cut McCoy um, just based off a lot of information that I had read. But um, yeah, so Sony Michelle played 16 games. Uh, I, I, I don't. Games. I still don't believe it. I see the number there, but twelve catches. No way. Twelve catches. So. Oh, that's a dirty dozen. We're good to go. Yeah. Uh, so, so Jordan, with so they're preserving the him. They want to keep him fresh. You know, you know the one thing I think fresh. everybody wants to get after you about is these rookie hit rates, too, especially because we've had some outliers here, wide receivers, and it brings me a lot of pleasure to try to do that. But what I want to say is, uh, moving into next year, so we're talking hit rate after. You know, you factor in their, you know, their draft position, their analytics. Who are you trying to grab, let's say, even from the 2018 wide receiver class and 2019 wide receiver class or running back class that you still think, like right now, like obviously you can get Damon Harris, you can probably get Alexander Madison, you can probably get Daryl Henderson super cheap. Uh, outside of like those kind of like, like obvious guys, uh, is, there, is there anybody else that you think is, is a good trade target right now? Yeah, I'm going to bang on those guys in startup drafts just because, it, and it's a lot of bet on the profile. And honestly, when day two running, it's it, when day two running backs drop in cost after the rookie season, that's actually a good thing because they tend to hit in the, their, their odds actually go up in year two. So um, I'm on that sort of, I would be on that. Um, Dante Pettis is a guy that I saw caught in a handful of places. Like I was pretty anti Dante Pettis when the, drum was beating for him in uh in august i thought that made virtually no sense based on the stuff that you know i cover the san francisco 49ers for uh football guys during training camp and every single day the reports were terrible on dante pettis and it was like this, <laughs> this dystopia of of just 
I don't know what was going on, but everyone was ranting and raving about him in fantasy circles. And I was like, what is everyone else reading that I'm not? Because I thought like, I was just kept thinking to myself that I have like, I have all this information and what is everyone else seeing in this guy that I'm not because it's not going well. Um, and you know, I ended up being right. Although I didn't think the 49ers would be this good. So I missed on that. Um, I, you know, it's interesting as like a, as like a group, you know, Royce Freeman continues to be interesting in terms of being a, a really good metric prospect that is in a timeshare. And you know, he's basically the, the, between him and Ronald Jones, it was like a 65, 35 to 50, 50 split, depending on the week. Um, I still think if, if Philip Lindsay is, um, I might've said Ronald Jones, I, if Philip, if Philip Lindsay were to miss time, I still think Royce Freeman's got, you know, RB, you know, top six RB, uh, outcome in his range of outcomes. Um, so he's a guy that I'm looking at Justin Jackson, I think well, makes it, an inch. Go it, ahead. Sorry. Quick note with Royce too. Uh, Pat Shermer went there and he likes to pass the running back. So as an offensive coordinator, which he is what he's best at, like Patrick, mm-hmm. did, stop hiring him as a head coach. Uh, <laughs> his, his, his best asset is an OC. So I think that it, uh, when you talk about Philip Lindsay, which I'm, I'm a fan of Philip Lindsay, just he's such a fun player to own in general. If you want like a, like good, like heart feels about the team you own. But I think Royce Freeman is the great backup there because he is a good pass catcher and he, you know, he is so dirt cheap right now that you can scoop him up. So I like that quite a bit. Just wanted to chime in. Yeah, no, totally. Um, so I, I really like him as sort of a, you know, I'm just, I, I put these young day two guys in a bucket and just see how many of them I could get in like a startup draft. He would be one of them that's in there. Um, you know, if I'm looking a little bit deeper at the running back class, I, I think Justin Jackson's pretty interesting right now. And it's probably a short-term window type deal, but uh, Melvin Gordon is a free agent. I think it's probably as good as gone. Um, Austin Eckler is a restricted free agent. We'll see with that, um, you know, what the, what the market might be willing to pay, what they sort of tag him at, you know, what, what level of um, tender they, they put on him. Um, that's, that's interesting. Uh, and, you know, it might not be a, a long-term hold, but if he, you know, if you have him right now, you know, I added him a couple spots where he was dropped just for the thought that maybe I could upgrade from a third to a second at some point in like March or April after free agency. Um, so he's a guy that, that I think is interesting. Um, you know, I'm, I'm right now looking at, I think that of all the positions, I think tight ends fascinating in terms of a guy like OJ Howard hasn't, hasn't hit yet. And his, you know, his, if you just looked at his base rate, it would be like 50% in terms of his odds to hit. I think people would think it's higher than that. Um, but that's sort of what his, the, the, first round tight ends put on his arc. Like that's, that's what they've done. Um, David Joku it has a top 12 finish, so his number's higher, um, but they're in a similar case where I'm not sure they're good fits for where they are. So um, those positions and those types of uh, situations are, I think are really interesting in terms of, I think there's going to be value in betting on uh, tight end pedigree this year where it w- that wasn't really in play last year in startup drafts. Let's take the flip side of that and, and revisit our friend Dante Pettis because Jordan, mm-hmm. my theory on why he was getting buzz was because he had a nice stretch at the end of 2018. Um, he, uh, week 12, 17.7 fantasy points. Week 13, 29.7. Week 14, 13.9. Week 15, 13.3. So he had this nice stretch at the end of the season in 2018. Fantasy playoffs. There, there's got to be somebody that's going to be a wide receiver one in San Francisco. So it's going to be Dante Pettis, even though you, you know, the reports were bad. People were looking at, you know, recency bias, what happened at the end of the last season. So who's your, who are your sell guys? Who are some guys that flashed enough in the 2019 season that you think will have a little bit of buzz maybe going into 2020? Um, like off the top of my head, like Deontay Johnson is a guy that maybe would, would fit that criteria because maybe he'd get some buzz in training camp. He had enough, you know, big plays. He flashed a little bit, um, but maybe he doesn't fit your criteria. I'm just throwing that out there as a, as a candidate. So any guys at the top of your head you think would be good sells? Yeah. I mean, Raheem Mostert seems like that type of guy, but no one's biting on that apple. So, uh, right. you know, I've tried to ship him for a second and that's, that's happening nowhere. So I think everyone's on the same, the same type of deal with that. Um, you know, I just uh, yeah, with Mostert. Do you think you could maybe get a deal done if you package him with somebody else? Like you're trying to move a b- better asset. Do you think that like kind of can close a deal for you? I mean, do you, I, do you, yeah, get creative. 
Yeah. Quick, quick second too on Mozart though. Do you remember he was breaking out last year and then snapped his arm? Is he is he just more talented in that scheme than we think? Now that he's fully recovered from that and may, like I, I, a second round rookie pick. Like why why pay that? There's there's really no reason to. Uh, but like a, a third round rookie pick could could you maybe squeeze out some value from start of weeks? Yeah, I mean, and yeah, I think yes, um, and. I think they're an interesting case in terms of just people say running backs don't matter. And I think that that probably overstates the case a little bit. Um, but I think the the scheme matters and it hasn't really mattered who's been the running back in terms of what their pedigree has been for Washington or for the Shanahan family. And they've schemed it up so yeah. well that, that guys have hit from, you know, nobody's have hit. And I mean, this year, Jeff Wilson was reeling off things. Brita was good. He has more touchdowns than Leonard Fournette. Right. Yeah. And, and, but the funny part is, is they keep doubling down in free agency and we're like, all right, we're taking McKinnon. All right. We're taking Coleman. Like they go and and take two of the per year bigger contracts in the last two years in terms of running back investments. Um, They should stop doing that and just keep going on the cheap running back thing. So I look at Coleman's contract and it's cuttable. And, you know, they're, they're going to have to pay some people. And I think it's a, it's a potential that they could move on from Coleman. Um, I think there's a, there's a reasonable chance that happens. I, I'm not sure I would bet that it does uh, straight up, but I think there's a reasonable chance that it does. And that puts Mostert in line. Um, I think even as a dirt cheap play, I think Brita's Brita on the same argument could be a beneficiary of that. Yeah. Um, I'm on the rookie deal. Yeah, and you know he's he's uh, he's under contract as well for I mean next to nothing. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that is for a third round rookie pick. I think it's more interesting. Um, I certainly think that's more interesting. And, and Jordan, I still have a conspiracy theory about Garoppolo. If you looked at his contract and his dead cap that he has with San Francisco, mm-hmm. like Garoppolo basically has to pay for his due at that team because his dead cap hit like coming into next year is like one and a half million versus his payout that actually. Will, will come i just feel like it's it's one of the most interesting contracts i've ever seen uh, in the nfl for a quarterback so my conspiracy theory is that at some point they're gonna like tra- like trade up in the draft and get their next like quarterback for the future cheaply and then have all this like all this market cap to go out and get better players like somehow they're here this year yeah. with some really terrible contracts on on their cap this season and it's it's a uh, it's almost like an NFL mutiny that may be happening in San Francisco, and it's just it's it's fascinating. And it could all they could all play out, and they could all perform well, and they just keep those contracts. But they have the option to just like jump ship. Uh, yeah, and it's I, I think we talked about this last year about his contract because I remember yeah, I remember I still, that specific I still, number. Still in there. Yeah, I, I, it's funny because I don't think he's that good. Um, and yeah, I just I haven't you know I haven't I haven't ever really thought he was that good. Um, but yeah, so I mean, a couple other guys that I would say I think are, fall into this similar type of category of guys that I think you could sell right now um, on sort of the the lower pedigree thing would be Anthony Miller. Like I I cover uh, the Bears every week for football guys, and he reeled off. I'm sorry. A nice stretch. Yeah, it was bad. I'm a uh, he reeled off a nice goal. stretch at the end of the season, but he dropped a lot of balls, and you know it was a couple of like fluky like big plays and. Um, yeah, he was, I I just, I, I, he was getting a lot of targets because it was just a funnel. Um, but I think, I, I don't think he's a true number two wide receiver. So, I mean, he finished in the last, like his last eight games, which would have been weeks 10 through 17. Um, he was, uh, basically a wide receiver three at wide receiver 32. I would sell that happening again. Um, yeah, I mean Deontay Johnson, similar similar type of scenario. I think I would move off of a guy like him. Um, yeah, those would be some of the guys. I mean, I think at tight end, it's interesting too. Like, what do you do with a guy like Higby? And you know, I I looked at him, and I was actually looking at him today because I'm put I for my Patreon thing, uh, my Patreon channel for Analytics of Dynasty. Uh, I do something called tiers. And it's a lot of this looking at the rates of players and sort of how they hit and, you know, what's the hit mean and those sorts of things. Um, it's not just straight rankings, but it's looking at, you know, the odds and it's sort of aimed to make some better bets, especially further down the line in drafts and his, you know, his odds of hitting again, just based on his pedigree and his one hit would be like 40%. 
And, you know, I'm not sure what the market's going to treat him sort of as this, as the off season goes along, but um, it's, he had a, a good hot stretch, but I'm not sure he's a long-term fantasy starter. Jordan, moving along, we, we kind of got away from our little segment back in time, reliving some 2018 <laughs> offseason moments. So, I mean, that's fine. But Go figure. Mark, I, I threw us off course. No, I, no, we're wrong. <laughs> I brought up the Jimmy Grapple conspiracy. So it's, it's all good. It's all good. So, so startup drafts last year, uh, you know, I'm hammering quarterbacks because I feel there's some, some great value there. And maybe I looked into my crystal ball in 2019 and I saw there'd be some carnage at the QB position. But I heard you say today on your podcast that you're not necessarily going to take the same approach. You're not necessarily going to take four starters in the first nine rounds of a startup. So can you elaborate on that? Why are we now um, like easing off the gas? Shouldn't this year teach us that um, we want to be well-equipped to the quarterback position because, you know, guys can go down? Yeah, I think that's true. Um, and I made that specifically that statement specifically in the context of targeting. Um, and I made, it's worth noting, I made the statement before today's news, but specifically targeting guys like um, Eli Manning uh, and Andy Dalton. And um, yeah, I thought Cincinnati would be better than they were this year. Uh, I thought AJ Green would be healthy and they, I thought they had the shapings of a good line and some interesting weapons. And like, I thought that offense could have been pretty good and it just, it basically all went bad. Um, So, you know, maybe I still would probably say that I liked, I liked Dalton last year and I I think that things just went poorly for him. Um, And they, they were like super pass heavy too. Like they were one of the most pass heavy teams in the NFL. uh, And when he was playing at the beginning, I think he like, when they benched him, I'm, I'm, fairly certain he was either leading the league or close to leading the league in pass attempts when they did that. So um, I was sort of, you know, that was sort of the right thing. And then, but they, I don't know why they benched him for Ryan Finley, but they did. Um, Yeah. They, they, they earned the number one pick. That's, that's, that was, might've been the strategy behind it. Um, They benched him on his, like his birthday too, if memory serves. Um, Yeah. (laughs) wasn't wasn't great um wasn't great poor, optics or mediocre Andy Dalton yes um but you know and then taking Eli and and later on um in drafts and I just I wonder especially if it's in the year one of a startup I wonder what the value of if I'm not you know I, I don't go into leagues thinking I'm going to lose in year one but I don't go into leagues mortgaging my future to win year one either and I just wonder if if that fourth pick uh, of a quarterback where you have a Eli Manning as a, as a QB four is necessary. Um, I, there is carnage every year at the quarterback position. Uh, and you know, these guys get hurt and their spot starts. Uh, but the, those are opportunities you can roster a cheaper and take shots on guys. Like, you know, I, a guy like Matt Moore was a guy that I had on my bench, uh, in a handful of spots. So when, when Mahomes went down, I knew I was getting, you know, it's probably what 60% of, of Mahomes' production, but in that offense, that's still, that's still a serviceable quarterback. Um, and so I think, I think probably what I would do differently is if I'm going to take a guy like Eli Manning, I'm going to make him a quarterback, my quarterback three, and maybe I'll pay up a little bit more uh, early and get a, got a couple guys that I like. Like, for example, I was big on the tier of like Matthew Stafford and Philip Rivers. Like that, those guys were really interesting to me where they were falling last year, maybe next year, instead of doing Philip Rivers and, and Stafford at that point, I would go up in, up in cost and take you know, someone as a QB one, that's better than Stafford and then take Stafford as QB two. And then I can afford to sort of kick the can a little bit and take a, I could take a spot starter, a veteran guy like a like an Eli Manning or next year's Dalton or whatever, whoever that is. I could take them as a quarterback three. I think that would probably be how I would change it, um, and and that sort of gives you another shot earlier in the draft. But you know, you can still get backup quarterbacks, and depending on the depth of the league, like I play in these twenty-eight man roster leagues, like. You know, if you're willing to roster five, six of them, and you're going to go tight at wide receiver, you can still get cracks at guys that are backups. And if you do it right and take guys that have done it before, um, you know, and sort of use the the right method in terms of selecting them, you could have been on a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick or who, you know, um, or uh, you know, guys like 
Minshew probably wouldn't have been a good bet, but um, you know, Chase Daniel got a couple starts and, you know, you could have been on guys like that, Teddy Bridgewater, right? Like guys that have a, some semblance of production in the past and be in the ability to maximize that if the starter goes down. Yeah. It was just an interesting year. There were some leagues where I had to rely on, you know, the Kyle Allens of the world and mm-hmm. Matt Moore a couple of times. And um, even the the week it was at Matt Shaw. And we're going to talk about like Tannehill too. Like there's, Tannehill, yeah, yeah, there you yeah, go. Right. Yeah, Tannehill. It's such a nuts yeah. year for quarterback. Like how, how this is the most outlier year of quarterback I've seen in my entire time playing in fantasy, uh, which is, it was awesome. I, I love that <laughs> about fantasy. Uh, always, always Ryan Fitzpatrick's right. And like the, the 20th round of the startup, always Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah. And if you look always sort of at like the, one weeks. Yeah. If you look at sort of the, the, just the historical trend of, of players and, and different positions and stuff, taking quarterbacks like that late, that, that tends to be an optimized strategy, especially if the backup running backs have gone off like that, that is a, that's a pretty good value bet in terms of the historical odds of hitting. So, uh, and you have to temper sort of what your, what your definition of a hit is at that, at that range, but to get serviceable action out of a player, like taking a quarterback that deep is actually, um, a higher likelihood than wide receiver, for example. Yeah. If you're loaded over every place else. And if you adopt strategy like that, you are, you'll get enough production from those guys to, I would, I would love the Vikings to, to pick up uh, Fitzpatrick just for that second playoff game, for that D gaff game. They need a guy <laughs> that's just going to throw the ball up in the air downfield when he's getting hit in the face. Like that, that's what they need. We've seen it two years in, or two playoff years in a row. Cause we didn't make that last year. Just, just, just a guy who's going to throw the ball that field. Let's have some fun. Tuck it around. Yeah, just, just, yeah. So, so narrative three, going back to 2019, um, I sold Aaron Jones every place I had him, Jordan. And I, I think that was the right call. But, uh, you know, he fifth round running back. And the situation in Green Bay, let's face it, we didn't know what was going to happen. Um, are you a believer in Aaron Jones now is, is my question here. Can he sustain his success? What do you see happening with Aaron Jones? I think the touchdown rate's really high. Um, yeah, I think it's a tempered expectation thing. Do I think he's going to go into to 2019 or 2020 as the likely starter? I do. Do I think that he is going to produce a running back to finish again? I don't. Um, and, you know, so it's funny. I was in a league where I got, I got some, I took some heat for this, but I turned down a trade of air. I was going to trade Nick Chubb. The offer was I would trade Nick Chubb and get in return Aaron Jones, uh, Delvin Cook in a second, and I turned it down, and that doesn't feel quite as good now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, those things happen. So um, I just wasn't a buyer on either Jones or Cook, and I just I thought Chubb was pretty bulletproof. And, I mean, Chubb was good in his own right, but Jones and Cook were better. So, um, uh, Yeah, I have, some, I have some good redraft stories too with that. But So it, it, it's shocking, though. So, Jordan, you don't think he's going to finish – as a, did you say top 24 running back next year? I mean, he, in weeks one through 16, was, was running back three this year. Yeah. And, and, and you know, Flash is a pass catcher. So to drop, uh, you know, what, 21 spots is, is a pretty bold prediction, right? No, no, I don't, I don't, no, it's not, I, if I said that, that's not what I meant. I, I, he finished his QB as running back two through week 17. Um, and he had 16 touch. He basically scored a touchdown a game in, on the ground and added three more in the receiving game. Like I just, and, and if you were to look at his yards compared to his touchdowns, like you wouldn't bet on him doing that again in terms of that high of a touchdown rate. So I would probably bet, uh, you know, if, do I think he's the likely starter there in green Bay in 2020? I do. Do I think that he is going to finish in the top six at the position again? Probably not. So I think you have to temper your costs. But I saw something today that he's going in like fourth, fifth rounds of startup drafts. Um, I don't know if that's true. I haven't. I just saw someone tweet that out. Um, if that's the case, I mean, it's that's a pretty interesting. That's you know, a that's a pretty interesting production bet at this point. So that was part one of our conversation with Jordan McNamara. Join us on Monday for part two, where we get into specific player values with Jordan. It's a great conversation. Part two, you don't want to miss it. In the meantime, go to analyticsofdynasty.com slash shop. Buy that book. Buy both books if you don't have the first one. Well worth the money. So we are the Fantasy Joes. You can find us at FF Joes on Twitter. On behalf of Will Greenwood, 
I'm Ryan Livergood, and we are the Fantasy Joes. <laughs>